Our Bible reading today comes to us from the book of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, reading two different sections, starting the first section starting at verse 26 through 33, and then we'll be jumping over to 46 through 55. Luke 1, starting at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And then we are going to jump over to verse 46, and this is a section which uh, often has been called the Magnificat. This is a section where Mary, the young teen who has just received this news, begins to express her joy uh, back to God. And originally the first word uh, in Latin was mag magnify, and that's why it's called the Magnificat. But what we see here is as Mary responds to the news, she goes back in her mind, she thinks about Hannah in the Old Testament, who gave birth to Samuel, what that meant for her. And she also considers all the Psalms filled with the rich promises of God. And all of that is a, is a, is a beautiful Jewish woman just captures her heart. She remembers what God has promised to his people. And she explodes with song. And here is what she says. And Mary says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Guiding God without the presence of your Holy Spirit, we are hopelessly lost on this Advent journey. And so come to us in this place as we gather to hear your word. Open our hearts to receive your word and our minds to understand it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. A poem by Mary Ann Hoberman goes like this. The folk who live in backward town are inside out and upside down. They wear their hats inside their head and they go to sleep under their beds. They only eat the apple peeling and they walk across the ceiling. Yeah, that's a silly kind of poem, isn't it? It's a little silly poem, but I bring it to us this morning because as we consider the glory of Jesus, 
and what it means for him to come and be enthroned in our lives, we are soon going to find out that everything about our lives as we live under the reign and the ways of Jesus Christ is going to be seem a little backwards to the world. We're going to be living a little upside down according to the world's standards because the kingdom of God is nothing like this world that we inherited, which is lost and broken and consumed by sin. The angel told Mary here in this, this poem that she was, not, sorry, not in the poem, get the poem out of my head, get back to scripture, <laughs> told Mary in our Bible reading that she was going to give birth uh, to a baby and she is to name the child Jesus. In Hebrew, it is Yahshua. That's what his disciples would have called him. Yah for God, Shua means saves. God saves. This is who the child was going to be. The one born to you is Yahshua. He is going to save the people. And the angel further declares in verse 32 that he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. If you are a Hebrew person, if you are a Jewish believer, and maybe even those of us here who are familiar with our Bibles and remember God's promises to his people in the Old Testament, this is exactly what was declared in 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's called the Davidic Covenant. Way back in the Old Testament, God made a promise to his people that I am going to come, I am going to establish a kingdom. I'm going to put a king on a throne and he's going to be a good king. And this king is going to last and rule forever. That was the promise that God made to David, that this king would come from his line. Well, it's been 600 years. God's people have been waiting. In fact, God's people have been sitting under the rule and authority of other great empires. They've never been in the place of power. Their lives are ones that have been in submission and really been crushed by these other powers. But now suddenly, suddenly, here comes good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. God is sending Yahshua. God is fulfilling his promise that from the line of David there is going to be a king who will save his people, who will be a good king and sit on the throne, and he will reign forever. Finally, after 600 years, this news is breaking in. God is fulfilling the promise that he made to his people, which is why Mary is just full of praises. She says God is remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants just as he promised. That's our God. And right now, in this moment, through me, God is sending this king into the world. And pointing us further into that fulfillment of that prophecy in Luke chapter 3, you will see that we have a genealogy listed there. And the genealogy starts with Jesus, who was the son of his earthly father, Joseph. It moves back through the generations. In verse 31, we then hear the name 
David. That's where the promise was. He would be the son of David. And let's just not stop there. Let's continue to go back further and further and further, and we go all the way back to Adam, who is the son of God, because this one who is born to us is son of the Most High. This is it. This is God fulfilling his promise. He is coming into the world to be king and to sit on the throne and establish his kingdom. And that is exactly what Jesus knew was his mission and what he was about. We can see in Mark, um, I'm sorry, in Luke 4, verse 43. This is what Jesus declares in Luke 4, verse 43. He says that I am here to bring the kingdom of God. That's what I must proclaim, the good news of the kingdom of God. This is why I was sent. Jesus was clear about this. I came into the world for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to establish the kingdom of God in the world today. Now let's think about that for a moment. That should rattle us a little bit, shouldn't it? I mean, to think about this, we just get all nice, warm, and cuddly about this Christmas season and the manger and the, the little sweet Christmas carols and all of that. But this is an event that is very impactful. It is God coming into the world to establish his kingdom and his reign. That's huge. And we think about that idea, the kingdom of God. And Jesus was clear in Luke 17, 21. People are saying, well, where is this kingdom of God? We're looking for it. In Luke 17, 21, Jesus says, I'll tell you where the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is within you. When Jesus came at this first advent, he was here to establish the kingdom of God in the hearts and lives of people. The people were thinking, well, maybe it's going to be here in Jerusalem. He's going to sit on the throne there in Jerusalem. All this territory will be his. Jesus said, no, the kingdom of God is more expansive than that. The kingdom of God is a world enterprise. The kingdom of God is when it takes place in the hearts and lives of people, where God's rule and reign lives within people. That's the kingdom of God. And yes, there will be a second advent, when Jesus comes again. And at that time, there will be a physical reign of a new earth and a new heaven where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord over everything. And all of those who put their faith in Jesus will be living with him eternally in that kingdom of new heaven and new earth. That's coming. But right now, we still have the kingdom of God breaking in. And where does it break in? Into our hearts and into our lives as we fall, put ourselves under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we're going to find discomfort with the world. Because the life of Jesus living in and through us makes us live upside down and inside out and backwards to the ways of the world. This was, and Mary points this out in her song. As she speaks of what God is going to do, he says, she says in verse 51, God has performed mighty deeds with his arm. 
That's a, that's a symbol of God's power. God is doing this. He's coming and establishing his kingdom with his power. And now as she goes into this, uh, the, the Hebrew, uh, I'm sorry, the, the verb that's used here in Greek in the original languages is what we would call aorist. That means it has already happened. And so Mary, as she thinks about uh, Jesus who is giving birth, that she's going to be giving birth to, this Yahshua, the one who comes to save, she's saying, I see him, I see what's going on in his life, and he has already done these things. This is him. This is what he's accomplishing. And that's what she's declaring here. It's kind of a prophetic vision of what this little one within her is going to do. And she says he's going to do this through the power of God. God's coming with his kingdom. And these are the things that he's going to do. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. There's a reversal of character. Right? Who, who, who lives at the top in this world? Those who are, are pride. Those who are full of themselves. God's going to scatter those who are proud. The character is going to be reversed. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. There's going to be a reversal of power going on here. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. There's going to be a, a reversal of, of justice and economics going on in every way. When our God comes into the world, he's going to turn it all upside down because the kingdom of God doesn't look anything like this kingdom of the world. And here is God. He's coming in. And these are the things he's going to do. And let's not just take Mary's words. Let's, let's listen to Jesus' words. Look at Luke chapter 6. Go over a few chapters. Luke chapter 6. If you look at verse 20, Jesus, looking at his disciples, said this. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Who inherits the kingdom of heaven? Not the rich, not the mighty, not the proud. The poor. Blessed are the poor. 21. Blessed are you who hunger. Blessed are you who weep. Blessed are you when people hate you. Blessed are you when people reject your name. What? That doesn't happen in our world. No, but it does in the kingdom of God. Those are the people who are going to be blessed. Everything gets turned upside down. And then if we continue on, in verse 24, it starts with, but woe to you. Now that word woe, uh, again, in, in the Greek, you can pronounce it, oawi, and it's an exclamation. Oawi! It's an exclamation of calamity. It's an exclamation of something very, very bad is going to happen to you. Oh, says Jesus. Can you feel the impact here? As Jesus is talking this, woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are well-fed. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you and everybody who speaks well of you. Isn't that what everybody in this world is clamoring for? to be rich, to be wealthy, to have people talk about them. Is that not why we, uh, we engage in reading People magazine, we watch Entertainment Tonight, we follow the Twitter feeds of the rich and famous? Because that's where we want to be. That's what we want to do. That's what the world says is what you need to accomplish. And Jesus looks at us and says, Oi! Calamity on you. Because that's what happens in the world, but not in 
the kingdom of God. Not in the kingdom of God. Those are the words of Jesus. And Jesus continued to teach in ways that sound backwards and foreign and that would just not be accepted by the people in our day today. I mean, if Jesus was going for a slogan, going for some pithy sayings, some teachings that we would hold on to and go, yeah, that's what I want to be a part of, Jesus didn't deliver that. I mean, we see there are some colossal fails in our world with messaging, and Jesus would rank right up there with their colossal fails. I ran across the, um, it was an ad for 7-Up, and it said, make 7-Up yours. Now think about it a bit. Just, just think about it. I believe this is a really bad ad. Make seven. Thank you, Rob. I knew I could count. I knew I could count on you. Up yours. Not a good slogan if you're going to drink seven up. Uh, there was another one for the the uh, Carlsberg beer. Probably the best beer in the world. I don't know. If I'm going to drink this, probably it's not the best beer in the world. Probably there's another beer that's even better. Maybe I'll drink that beer. And then there's my all-time favorite, this one, by the Charmin Corporation. Do I need to really say anything about this? We're just doing our business. And Charmin wants us to think if we buy their product, it's going to turn into like a trip to Disney World. <laughs> I don't know about you. Never been Disney World for me. And even if I'm using Charmin, I'm still not going to enjoy it. These are colossal message failings in our world. And I bring them up to you because I believe that if uh, Jesus was employed by these same marketeers, uh, his messages would be equally disastrous in our world today. Listen to some of his teaching here. The least are the greatest. To live, you must die. To get back at your enemy, love him. To become rich, give your money away. To be exalted, you must be humbled. To be strong, you must be weak. This is just a small sampling of Jesus' teaching, but do you hear how they hit our ears? Do you hear how they resonate with, 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 with the vision and the values and the character of the world? The world would not buy this because that's not the way the world operates. But it is the way that the kingdom of God operates. And Jesus says, if you're going to be part of the kingdom of God and you are going to follow me, then this is how you are going to live, and it is going to be in friction and in conflict with the world. Paul pointed that out to us in Galatians 5, 16 through 17. Paul says these words. Paul says that the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These two are opposed to one another. And as believers... We are to walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. Right? The world, flesh. That path is heading one way. To the kingdom of God, we are to live and walk in the Spirit, which is heading us in a completely different 
direction. And that's the choice we make when we choose to live in the kingdom of God. That's why this event, this Christmas event, is so decisive because it isn't one that we just look at and go, oh, it's so beautiful, it makes me feel warm and cuddly. I love the Christmas season. When God came into the world as flesh and dwelt among us, it forces every one of us on the face of the earth to make a decision. And to not make a decision is to make a decision. You have to make a decision. Jesus came into the world to be king, to be enthroned in your life as king. And is he going to take that place in your life or not? Everyone has to face that decision. Everyone has to face it. That's what Jesus was clear about. If you look at Mark chapter 1. Mark 1, right when Jesus comes out doing his ministry. Mark 1, verse 13, Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, here it is, repent, is his words, and believe the good news. I don't know that our world captures that, but this is the heart of Jesus. I've come, I brought the kingdom of God, and my mission as I declare the good news is that everyone here repents. That's what I'm here to say. Because our world likes to say, well, Jesus is here so everybody will love. Our world, where Jesus is here so everybody will be kindness. Jesus is here so everybody will just accept everyone. And, and yes, I think some of that is true because those are fruit of following Jesus. If I'm living in the kingdom of God, my love is going to be off the face of the earth. But Jesus didn't say, I've come so all of you would just be loved. He said, no, I have come and I want you to repent because I have something bigger for you. I want you to live in the kingdom of God because in the kingdom of God, that's where life is found. He said, I have come to give life and give it abundantly. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy, but seek first the things of heaven because these are things that last. It's where life is found. And that's the decision. That he, that he forces us to make here in this Christmas season is to place him on the throne. And if we're going to put him on the throne, the simple thing is to do is that we have to, in his words, repent. Now, repent, often we just make that kind of soft and we just go, oh, it makes me feel, oh, I feel bad. Or just, oh, I'm not feeling very good about that. I just, oh, that was, that was a train wreck. I shouldn't have done that. It's bigger than that. Repent is a complete change of mind it's a choosing to go a different direction it's a new orientation it's saying my future is going to look different i was walking this way but i repent of walking this way this is not the way that i should be walking because i want to live where in the kingdom of god and so i'm gonna say i'm sorry that i was walking in this way i repent and from this day forward I'm completely turning around, and I am now going to live within the kingdom of God. That's the decision Jesus was here to ask everybody to make. Are you in your heart, in your spirit, are you going to let the kingdom of God live and reign? Are you going to continue to walk in the ways of the world, or are you going to repent, turn, and live within the kingdom of God? It's pretty simple, but that's what he's asking. That's what Jesus is asking. In Luke 6, 
Verse 46, Jesus says these words. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Ooh, we're off to some good stuff here, aren't we? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? What is this saying? Well, in my life, I believe, Luke 6, 46, in my life, I believe that I am, I've, I've placed you as king, right? If he's Lord, we're saying, you're my king. You're over me. I'm following you. My life is in line with you. Jesus, I have repented. I'm no longer walking in this direction. I am now walking in the ways of the kingdom of God that lead to life. And Jesus says, why do some of you call me Lord, Lord? Yet, you do not do what I say. That's a nugget, is it? Is that not a nugget? You call me Lord, Lord. Jesus, I follow you as king. But I'm still walking this direction. I'm still heading towards the things of this world. I'm still trying to be rich. I'm still trying to build a name for myself. I'm still trying to live with pride. And you said, why do you do that? You can't call me Lord, Lord, and continue to walk that way. I told you, you have to repent. You have to do what I say. For everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, you know what, I'm going to show you what they're like, he says. They're like a man building a house who dug deep down and laid the foundation on the rock, and when the flood and the torrent struck the house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. You turn this way, you lived according to my principles, you lived within the kingdom of God, and at the end of the day, when the judgment came, you stood strong. That's what the kingdom of God is like. But for those who do not hear my words and do not put them into practice, they're like the man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. What happened to the people walking in this direction? Not obeying the words of Jesus, not living within the kingdom of God? I didn't make this up. Jesus told this story. I believe the word that he uses here is destruction. Not just a little destruction. Destruction that is complete. Complete destruction. Do you, do you see the importance? Do you see the importance of this event? That's substantial, I think, as I look at this church family and I consider you all my friends and I pastor you. The last thing I want to see, destruction, complete. So hear these words of, of Jesus today. That's what he's saying, that we need to turn around and we need to repent. He echoes this in Luke 13, 13 verse 5. 13 verse 5, Jesus says, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. The world doesn't get this. Hasn't the world soft-pedaled this message and just say no matter which way you walk, no matter what you believe, no matter who you follow, our God is all love and you're all just going to be in the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but the Bible doesn't get us to that place. What gets us to that place is that we need to put our, enthrone Jesus in our life, obey his teaching, turn around and continue to walk within the kingdom of God. 
That's what the Bible says. And that's the decision that we need to make. We need to turn from the ways of this world. And when we do, the fruit of our life will be what, what Paul says in Philippians. Think about such things. Whatever is noble, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is righteous, whatever is good, whatever is pure. I mean, the list goes on. Think about such things. Set your mind on things of heaven and not on this kingdom. And what we find and what you can ask about your life is, is, is my life causing friction as I live here? Because if we're walking in this direction, by those values, we will have absolutely no friction. But once we start living according to the values and the ways of Jesus Christ, we're going to find out that we're living in this upside-down, backwards world. And as Jesus comes within us, that's where the kingdom reigns. And as he claims more and more territory, we align more and more with his will and his ways. The spirit of Jesus Christ grows within us. The sin is pushed out. The holiness fills us. We soon, as we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, as we live into his will and his ways, we become more and more like Jesus. The things of this world become distasteful to us because light can have nothing to do with dark, says the scriptures. The light cannot exist in the darkness. And we find that. I don't know about you, but... But I, I'm just speaking for my own life here that I start to find that when, when I'm watching some of the, the stuff on television and, and no slam on anybody here. I'm just telling this is my, my response. Here. When, I, when I just watch so many shows about bigger this, more this, greater house here, more stuff here. I'm like, wait a minute. That just, that just isn't life. That's not what life is about. And I'm pretty soon I'm like, I don't, want all, I don't want all that stuff. I don't need all that stuff. You know, uh, I, I have this, this uh, way, sometimes when, I, when I'm interacting with Amy and I want attention on something or I'm feeling bad, I go, oh, poor me. And then the response is like supposed to be, oh, yeah, you're poor, poor you. I feel you're, you're you are, you're really poor. That, that's what I want back. But often what I get back is, no, you're not poor. You're not poor at all. And we had this discussion last night, I did that, and I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. And then I actually know this path, I go, if you line up every person in the world, all 8 billion people in the world, I guess I'm probably not the poorest. I guess, you know what, I probably won't even come anywhere near that. And, and, and I say that because in that moment I recognized I had everything that I need and what I wanted. And that stuff, this desire, the consumerism, especially at Christmas time, just starts grating on me. It's just like, that's not what it's about. I don't either. That's, that's not part of the kingdom. And it happens in all other areas of life. I think also when, when I also, the, you know, I go to the politics. You go to the, the news channels that are on, uh, whether it's CNN or Fox or any of the news channels or talk radio. It's all arguing and bickering and fighting and name-calling and putting people down. I turn that on for a little bit. I'm like, I don't want, I, I, I'm not going to listen. I, I can't listen to that. Because the Spirit of God is that I love my enemy. The Spirit of God is we walk in peace. The Spirit of God is I see everybody in the image of God. And I'm living in a different way. doesn't mean I accept, you know, don't hear me saying that I'm accepting everything that everybody does. It's just that, that constant tension, that constant, I don't want that. That's part of the kingdom of the world, but I live in the kingdom here. 
which is a kingdom of peace and a kingdom of unity. I, I, don't, I don't want that. And, and think about the sexuality in our world. I was watching a football game yesterday, and all of a sudden this sensual lady came on in a commercial laying on a bed, looking at me with her eyes and going, you need this kind of essence, and then you too, you know, can have great love. And I'm like, what? I just want to watch the football game, and now I'm being lured in to the sexuality. What's going on here? And it's all around us. It's all around us. Uh, without, without shame, it's around us. And I look at that and I go, no, I don't want that. Because I'm being a... Because I am trying to follow a list of rules and regulations? No. It's because the Spirit of Christ, because I live in a different kingdom. I live in the kingdom of God. And as I live in the kingdom of God, his values take over me. His character takes over me. He reigns over me. My heart, my soul, my mind and strength, every part of me. God is either king of all or he's not king at all. And that's what Jesus is pointing out. That's why Jesus says every day, pick up your cross, die to the world, and live within my kingdom. And that's the call on our life. That's what this Christmas event challenges us. And so we're challenged to ask today, are we more comfortable living in the world, or are we comfortable living in the kingdom of God? And I don't know if comfortable is the word, because I think while we live here, there will be friction. There will, Jesus told us that. There's going to be persecution. Uh, he told us you're going to have folks who will laugh at you, not like you. But, he said, and all those things, blessed are you. Because when you get to the kingdom of heaven, you're part of the kingdom of heaven. And that's where your reward comes. And the apostle Paul reminds us that we are just, uh, our citizenship is in heaven. It was the apostle Peter who said, you're aliens and strangers. This is not your home. But do we often live like this is our home? Do we often feel very comfortable that this is our home? Instead of repenting and turning around saying, this is my home? And yes, my home looks nothing like the world, but my home is not here. My home is in heaven. While I'm here, I'm an alien. I'm just passing through. I don't have anything in common with this world, but I am, as the scripture calls me, an ambassador for Jesus Christ. So as I live in this world, I will live in a way that is different by different values different character, different priorities, and demonstrate to this world what the kingdom of God looks like. And one day, when Jesus returns, he claims the whole earth and the whole kingdom of God will be under his reign in that way. But right now, right now, while we still live in a sin-filled and broken world, Jesus comes in and he comes at Christmas time again. And he forces us to make a choice. Are we going to enthrone him on our lives. And so I just want to ask you today, as you begin to receive your king, and you begin to prepare your heart, is there room for him? Where do you need to make room for him? Is there a place in your life where you would say Jesus is not fully enthroned? Maybe when it comes to your entertainment choices, maybe it comes with you, the area of dating and sexuality. Maybe it's your thought life, your, your appetites. Maybe it's your devotion. Maybe it's your leisure. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's generosity. I don't know what it is for you, but, but you know. The Holy Spirit will convict you. You'll know. And at that moment, a decision has to be made. Will I repent and will I align it with the kingdom of God? 
and know that that's where life is found? Are there areas of your life today that need to be brought under the reign and rule of Jesus Christ so you can live more fully within the kingdom of God? And we live within the kingdom of God where all is right, where all is true, where all is real, where all is good, and we demonstrate that to a world that is living upside down and to a world that is living backwards. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for, for your salvation, that we are not stuck here in this world, that we are not stuck here in darkness, but when the time had come, you sent Jesus Christ to be the light in this world, to show us the path to life. And that path to life is to turn around and to follow him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And so today, God, I just want to ask that your spirit would come and convict us about those areas of our life that need to be more fully aligned with you. Maybe there's places in our life we've just been so comfortable with the world. We've just, we've just fit right in there. It's like a little beanbag chair. We've just gone right down into that world, and we just want to say, no, we're done with that. We're out of there, and we just are going to follow you and your will and your ways. Father, our life is not found in anything that this world offers, but our, our life is found in the name of Yahshua, Jesus, the one who saves. And right now, in this moment, we are going to say no to the things of this world. We are going to say no to the prince of this world. And we are going to say yes to the king of all things, Jesus Christ. And it's his name that we lean into. And it's by his name that we find life. 